When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So Tony Hill was our guest today. We didn't actually say the word quit during his interview, but I felt like he spent so much time, or we really drove it back and back and back to that moment. Because I always like that moment right before, when it's unbearable, whatever it is. (sighs) And quitting, checking out, quitting not being present, um, you know, was a huge thing. And there was a moment, and there is an incident, and there is uh, a reason why, and there is a process for him learning how to check back into his life. And I thought that was really interesting. Me too. I also think it's always really enjoyable to watch, and it's rare, but like to watch you engage with, I think someone who is like your peer in in a lot of ways, you're in the same cafeteria. Like you're, you're in the same- Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you we you, you meet much- at eye level, I think, I think. Yeah. Oh, I think so. I absolutely, and because we were both doing, you end up sort of on these circuits when when he was doing Veep and we were doing Modern Family and we were lucky enough to get, we were both nominated for all the stuff. So there was endless parties for years. Right. Where we just oh, so see you each really other, know each, each other. other. Okay. Well, to say hi, I've certainly seen him and, and he's, Tony Hale is polite lovely, kind, always stands up. If you see him in a restaurant and you walk towards the table, he stands up to say hello. Like, he's a gentleman. He's a kind person. But I have certainly never, I never knew any of these things about him. He has a little bit of Thai energy, a little Very. bit, I would say. And I, and I was looking at both of you and feeling like, early in the conversation, I was looking at both of you and I was thinking like, accolades notwithstanding, like, I just hope that I can kind of be like you two a little bit when I'm a few years older. Like, I hope I can have your grace, humility, ability to let someone else, you know, stand in the center of a conversation. Just so much, you both look really good. You're both beautiful people. You know what I mean? Like, all that stuff. I I literally had that thought early in the conversation. I was like, God damn it. I hope I can be like them a little bit. Tony gives me some big Thai vibes. I was thinking the same exact thing because when I was listening to him, I felt like, that thing click that that respect my like respect antenna when I was like I respect <laughs> this man and and his sureness with who he is in his mm-hmm. world in his faith in everything just makes me want to like sit up a little straighter yeah. um and yet he doesn't deliver it with any judgment whatsoever for him to say I think it's really hard it takes a lot of faith to be an atheist I was like that's that's a really open-minded, mutually respectful, empathetic standpoint. And I, I love that about him. 
I think it resonates too. I think it. I think it requires a lot of faith in yourself in in some way. It's like it's so it's hard to go. There's nothing. I'm not an atheist, by the way. Do you know that? I never have thought of you that way. I've never categorized I mean, you that way. Atheist is way too scary. I was exaggerating. Like it's not a parade of atheists, but certainly. But it like, is. I disagree. I think that it's mostly. Atheists. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I'll put it this way: like therapy and therapists are way more accepted than the idea of God as re- regards to our Agreed. industry and our guests. And yet Tony Hale embraced both. He has both. both. There you both. go. He's a well-rounded dude. he has a really dude. good beard. Yeah. So check out the Mysterious Benedict Society on Disney+. Plus. It's streaming now with our guest, Tony Hale. And here he is, Tony Hale. Guys, hi, hi guys. God, your your setup looks so fancy. You guys really we know are how to step really, up your game. We're really, really fancy people. We're Goodness. really fancy. I know. I'm in literally. If if I could turn this camera around, which I won't do, you will see that I'm in a closet. So it's not <laughs> that fancy. I'm literally in my in the guest room closet, and I got to clean it out because my mom's coming to town. So I'm gonna have to move my my whole setup. Tony, so I'm nice so to excited. It's really nice to you see too, you. Tony. You have a nice face, Tony. I've never Thank said you. that to anyone that's come on here. He's never said that. A nice face. That's, so that's nice. true. But Tony <laughs> does. Tony's got a gentleness about him that belies the fact that he was on the filthiest show on television. <laughs> Did that make you uncomfortable to be how um I guess your character didn't have to get as involved on on Veep? No, to the point where I didn't really uh I, I was described as a bitchy mime on the show because I just gave facial expressions. <laughs> I just, that's all I did behind her was just give facial expressions. That's not all you did. That is by mm, far and away not all you did. You had, a, you were great. And when you guys won Emmys and you would go up on the stage oh, yeah, and do, um, you would bitchy mimed behind her. <laughs> I was like, God, that's good. They're a good team. Yeah, she's pretty they, great. Would it have bothered you if they'd asked you to be really foul? There were a couple times that some stuff was written and I I had to like address it a little bit. I was like, nah, this might now because you can't speak for somebody else. But I said for me, this might be a little too far. And they were really cool right. about giving me other options and stuff. Yeah, I can't see your character on that having um, been like. I hope you get cancer in your eye when you. No, uh, if I anything, fuck you with my what's kind of. <laughs> What's, what's I'm gonna keep is, making. I'm gonna keep going until I make you really uncomfortable. <laughs> but what's fun is I could I could respond behind her as the audience would respond. You know, because it was yeah. so shocking. So I could kind of be the audience's perspective, like my God, woman. You know, so like that was kind of nice to kind of yeah. mirror what they were probably thinking. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, I would watch it and howl with laughter, but then also go like, "Oh my God, wait, what? That's what did you did you were you a Veep fan, Chad?" I, I, uh, Rachel just asked me that. What a great question to ask your co-host without knowing the answer. Um, <laughs> I, I, not, I don't know the answer. <laughs> I have not watched Veep. I was planning to just very quickly, uh, and I know I'm, you know, the only person who hasn't. No, and you're I not. was very, only one. Well, just so, you. I know, and now I feel as though I haven't done the homework, but I have no. done the homework, which is that Tony. I know a lot about you um, from this dossier that we were given mm-hmm. out, outside oh. of your acting and. There are a bunch of things here that I see that you have worked with that I am currently very 
um, urgently sort of struggling with. So mm. I'm going to ask you about some of those things. Please, as we go I along. love it. I learned that you, for a large part of your life, struggled with being present. Like you couldn't yeah. remember yeah. some parts of your life. Yeah, yeah. That is a really intense struggle in my life. How intense was that struggle? And mm. are you feeling like you're present now? I think it's always a journey. But I, I mean, just to kind of back up a little bit, when I booked Arrested Development years, years ago, I, it was kind of my big thing. I was really excited about it and it didn't satisfy me the way I thought it was going to satisfy me. And it really scared me. And that's what woke me up to like, whoa, I haven't, I was putting so much power on that thing coming. And when it came, mm. it didn't satisfy me. And cause you know, I, I'm, I feel very thankful that I got my dream, but then I gave that dream a lot of weight and when mm-hmm. that, when it didn't kind of scratch that itch, it's really scared me, but it woke me up to, I had not been present for most of my life. I'd always been looking to the future. I'd always been checking mm-hmm. out and thinking about something else because I never really wanted to be present for various reasons. And then after Arrested Development, I got into therapy a little too much. <laughs> I think it's probably spent too much of the money on therapy, <laughs> but just began to kind of wake myself up. And, and there was things that I would remind myself like you have to wake yourself up a hundred times a day to where you are um you have to you have to when when i find myself checked out literal a hundred times a day like i'm are you like literally a hundred times a day you're like (laughs) wake up wake up how do you what's the process yeah so there would be one way i would do that is i would um i would like activate the five senses so if i'm somewhere else in my head i would say Mm. what am i smelling what am i hearing what am i tasting what am i seeing what am i touching and huh. that that would ground me where I was. If I found myself living in the what if, especially like, you know, right after Arrested Development was canceled, I had my daughter and I, and I bought a house. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like what's, what was I thinking? And I was so scared, but it was like, I had this baby and I was just constantly like, whenever I found myself what ifing, I'd say, not now, not now. And I mm. would just, and I would just, and I would activate the five senses and I would just kind of just try to stay there. And it was a real, because I've said this many times before, but it's, it's worth repeating. When you, since I had not been present, I had really also not been practicing this discipline of contentment because I was always thinking, well, this is shitty, but the contentment's coming when I get my big thing. And yeah. it's, the whole thing is if you're not practicing contentment where you are, you're not going to be content when you get what you want. And I just really, after that, just been like, okay, I need to start practicing. And it's like, and the fact is, it's not easy, but I think it's a discipline. I've got to practice being content in the ordinary. I've got to practice not, and in LA, Hollywood, you live in these big highs and sometimes it can Mm -hmm. be big lows. Yeah. So you kind of, you associate contentment with these really big highs, but that's not life. Life is finding contentment in the ordinary. You know? Well, that's what I wanted to ask you is when you said when you're looking forward, you were always looking forward to this dream. And when the dream came true, you would feel X. What was the X? And if it was contentment, how do you define that? Yeah, I would feel uh, I would feel a lot of things. I would feel frustration because it didn't satisfy. I'd feel shame mm-hmm. because I should feel something and it didn't feel mm-hmm. something. So I would have that guilt because everybody's energy coming towards me didn't match what was inside. Um, and it was just kind of filtering through all of that. And I, to your point, the contentment, the show I do now, not to plug it, but is called the, the mysterious, they have ELO in the uh, the opening (laughs) episode, ELO. I'm like, I'm in, I loved that so much. Yeah. So they do this Benedict society and this season, the, one of the big, uh, messages is the difference between artificial happiness and, 
real happiness and talking about, I play twins and one twin is like selling happiness and one twin is kind of authentically happy. And authentic happiness is the full range of emotions. Right. You know, you can be have a shitty day, but at your ground, that doesn't mean you're unhappy. You're just like, you're just living out your emotions. Whereas in today's age with social media, it's like selling happiness. You need this. We're always comparing ourselves. It's a highlight reel. That's fleeting. That's artificial happiness. So things like kind of in terms of contentment, it's like, yeah, I might be sad, but I can still take a deep breath and I can still try to absorb my surroundings and find moments of contentment during the day. I don't know if that makes sense. but It it does. And if I rewind the tape a little, you said you you were not present because you said there were a few reasons. And uh, it sounds like, I think I heard you say you didn't want to be where you were. What can you share about a little bit about why you didn't want to be where you were? Yeah. I mean, I can't share too much about, uh, but there's uh, some trauma, family stuff. And then there's, there was a lot of addiction in my family. So Mm. when kind of faced with that stuff as a kid, you're kind of, it's too much obviously for a kid. So you kind of disassociate, you just kind of check Mm -hmm. out. And so I, from a very, from a very young age, just kind of learned how to, you know, this is tough. So I'm just going to check out (laughs) in my head Mm-hmm. And I really, and also then you kind of combine that with being a creative person, the imagination, your, your checkout can actually feel very real because mm-hmm. you, you mm-hmm. know, you know how to create something in your head very vivid. Yeah. yeah. And so I just kind of got very used to, if something's hard, I just check out and I would live somewhere else. Um, so if somebody knew you, if we were interviewing you or watching you as a, say, 10 year old, I'm just picking an age under 12. Yeah, yeah. You've said you were you don't have a lot of or any really memories sort of twelve yeah. below. What do you think somebody else would have seen? How would they have described you back then? Just a kid who I would have become all things to all people in order to get attention, huh. and and that's where performing performance came in, which was just yeah. a gift from God because my parents found this theater that because um, I was not into sports, I did not like sports. And I found this theater where I could, you know, perform and stuff like that. But it was just, I just would do anything for a laugh. I was, I was that kid that found somebody in each clique to, to resonate with, not necessarily mm-hmm. for them to be friends mm-hmm. with them, but to feel like if I got their attention, then I'm okay. Mm-hmm. So it was just this kind of morphing into different people. And you, to your question, I don't think you would be able to probably put me in a compartment. Because I was just all, have, was all over the map. What I've seen you, I'm imagining in my mind um, a kid on a playground when there's all the different groups. Because that's the way I always think of like elementary schools, the playground. And like that's where the groups all get, you know, there's this group and there's that group. And that you were sort of, in my mind, you're kind of shuttling yeah. between them, trying to see like, how's this working? How's that working? Yeah, does that I'm feel not, right to you? It does, but I, I actually never thought about this. That there were, <laughs> there was that, but I think you would probably also find a kid who is sitting by the wall watching the groups and almost in a scientific way trying to figure out my way in. Mm. Like if I wasn't in, I was like thinking which direction, which way. It was like it was became this like puzzle. Like how can I get in there? Well, if this person's being a douchebag, I'm going to avoid that challenge and I'm going to go around here. Maybe I'll go to the friend. Like it was just this way to scientifically get my way in. I, but that I, um, is so, that's so similar to what you just said. I'm sorry, Chad, that, that yeah, yeah. like the idea that getting into that group 
getting that job, getting yeah. that attention is going to give you something. Yeah. And of course, as a kid, go, getting into a group of kids that you don't really care what they don't care. stand for. It's just about the attention or just <laughs> yeah. about the acceptance. So of course it's not going to feel very satisfying, I should say. No, totally. And you also don't want to be, it's, 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 it's an age old thing. You don't really want to go to the party. You just want to be invited to the party. Because the thing you're you're ultimately seeking is to feel what exactly that you are valued. Um, valued you're enough. You're valued. Okay. Yeah. Because and you, you yeah. And, Sorry, and go ahead, Tony. No, 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 you please chat. I'm cutting you off. No, I just I, I mean, I just relate to it so much. I, I relate to mm. the whole experience of like watching every group of people and thinking sure. and like really watching them. Like what do they like a little bit? You know, what do they actually like? Not like what makes them smile, but like what makes them yeah. want to just inch a little bit closer, a little bit closer. So yeah. I'm, I'm just feeling it's um I don't know. I just feel connected to what you're saying. Yeah, and it's I think it's it's great because I I love that you said that because even though it was tough and you both can relate to this, I do love how God or my I, my faith is important to me. So how I see God in my life, how he uses those brokenness to create something for the future, meaning I'm an actor. So I, I as hard as it was like dealing with anxiety or dealing with whatever I dealt with, I know I know how to play anxiety well. I know how to play different people because I became all people in order mm-hmm. to in order to get valued. Like there's something, I think it's beautiful how that can be used for good in the future, even though it was kind of shitty, you know, to walk through sometimes. You you're also, I'm observing that you're really good at um boundaries. You're really good at like pre- pre- presenting a boundary mm. without causing harm. You moved past the why around your mm. Why he wasn't comfortable. He wasn't exactly. comfortable where he was. And then and then when I came back to it, you like again, you very gracefully like put the boundary up and moved on from it. Did mm. you always know how to do that? Because I'm trying to learn how to do that. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. Um, there's well, you you had said about the value, Chad, which I think it or I think in we were talking about that. And it's as I get older, I'm 52 now, and as I get older and older, it's like I can only speak for the business I'm in, but it's the sense of what we're all in. But this business says you have value. You have value when this happens. Mm. And the truth is the value I had before success is the exact same value I have after success. That's just a flat fact. And I think for me, it's the reminder of constantly like, okay, I've got to wake up. And this sounds very, you know, self-helpy, but it's just like, I've got to stand firm in my identity and who I am and who God created me to be, who I am. And that's where the value lies. And it's like, when it comes to boundaries, so I give so much power to other people in this business because mm-hmm. I'm so afraid of how they're going to view me. I'm so afraid I'll burn bridges or whatever. But it's not really, um, it's not coming from my identity of who I am. And it's mm-hmm. like, if I'm, if I'm going to live in my value and if I'm going to live in who I was created to be, I'm protecting that. You know, and right. it's, and it's, and it's, and that's okay. Like I was, when I talk to students um, about this, this uh, business, I love doing it, but I always get the question of like, is there stuff that you would do and you wouldn't do and all that kind of stuff. And there's always a fear to say no to something. There's just a terrible yeah. fear. I mean, especially when you've lived as a struggling actor for so many years, it's such a fear. But the key is there's ways to reframe it. Not only are you kind of creating a boundary and protecting yourself, but it's like you're actually doing them a service. Because if you say yes to something that you don't want to do, guess what? You're not going to be 100% there. They're not getting their money's worth 
because right. you're you're not there. You're gonna you're not gonna be fully present because you're gonna have that part of you that's like I shouldn't have done this. So what was at the end of the day when you would go home from any job, I won't ask you to be specific, where your sensation before you kind of woke yourself up, Mm. sort of walk me to the end of that. Like, when did you reach a breaking point when you go, this is not working for me. This, this, I spent 12 hours on a set Yeah. and I came home and I felt what? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, you, I wish I wish my wife was on. My wife was on here too because she she, she, she kind of saw just. I mean, also there's the fact that I was. This was during Arrested Development. I was playing a very emasculated, panic-stricken, overwhelmed character, which, by the way, worked because that's how I always felt. Anyways, at that time, it was but, you uh, did a, you did it brilliantly. Whether or not it's, it's whether all, it's your experience pain. of it wasn't brilliant, it was brilliant. But I would come back, and I think, oh man. I don't know. I'm sure you guys have heard of cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. And before before I started doing that, I just felt, ooh, I felt like I was a victim to my own thoughts and my feelings. I would just come home and I felt like I was drowning in my perception of how people are seeing me, how I was doing, um, how I, like, what that person said. I could have done that better. Um, mm. What's what's the future going to look like? Am I going to be able to get through this? Um, what does this mean? What's the next job? Just one, just like all these overwhelming feelings and not only feelings I might add, but scenarios that are creating in your head of scenarios of like, I would come back and if I thought somebody didn't like me, oh, what are they saying to somebody else about me? And um, just all these like, these awful narratives you create in your head and just felt like I was drowning. And, and my so wife would be like- the, That sounds horrendous. Yeah. And I'm hearing, or I'm supposing that that was a, a process that lasted years. Mm-hmm. So what was the finally, were you, did you just say, what, was there an inciting incident? Was there a moment? Was there a, a stretch of unemployment? Was there something where you go, I got to change this? Yeah. This and has I would say, to change. It, 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 was my, it was my daughter being born. Because she, mm. she was born in 2006, that month when arrest was canceled. And I was like, I'd been shooting this. She was t- born the same month it was canceled. Yeah. It must have been so overwhelmed. I was, so, and I just bought a house. I was, um, I, um, I, I, I just, I just remember thinking that, you know, this, this little girl, I have to keep this baby alive. Yeah. And I cannot check out. I just can't check out. And so that's when I just started. And also the gift of it, because I was faced with a very uncertain future and uh, granted, all that is, I mean, I'm, we're so grateful and I'm so blessed and I don't want to come off as not thankful. But at the time, I was very faced with this like crazy uncertain future. And I was like, you know what? I I can, I just have to focus on this child. And mm-hmm. because there's this, you know, tsunami of feelings and, and narratives that are coming in my head. And it's like, I I got, I have to do something because this baby has to stay alive and I don't want her to have a detached father. I am assuming, and maybe I shouldn't be, but I was, I'm assuming that you had some financial stability at that point in time. Mm. You know, you're not like a 25 year old trying to get into right. the industry anymore. So what are some, like, basically I'm asking like, what's the next bag full of shit that is going to hit me in the face once I, you know, turn the corner and get a little closer to where you guys are, God willing. Well, I would now, say, I would say, sorry, Julie, were you about to say something? No, I was going to say never getting hired again. You bought the, the house, the you got the kid. And well, that that's the bag of shit that you're like, oh no, now I'm a scene as I'm only my character on Modern Family. I'm only my character on Arrested Development. Yeah. 
oh my God, I thought that I had a career going forward. I can do different things. I'm never getting hired. I have a mortgage. I have a baby. Fuck. Yeah. I would, that's it. And Chad, I have to say like, because how old are you, Chad? I'm 34. Yeah. I would say, <laughs> I just, just know that the questions you're asking and the self-awareness you're having right now is a real gift to yourself. Because oh, thank Because that, that is something I did not have at your age. Mm. And I would, I would definitely keep going in that pattern because that's, by the way, all that matters is how is relationships and how you see yourself and how you live day to day. That's literally mm. all that matters. Right. But in terms of kind of work, I think, say your question again. The, the question is after Arrested Development, you know, yeah. financially secure. Oh, yeah. Uh, you have just been a part of something that is, you know, a really big deal in your, in, you have you have industry prestige. You know, you're you're not like a 25-year-old just like trying to figure it all out. But maybe you're, you know, 10, 15 years beyond that still trying to figure it out. But the question is just, just like, what was what was it that you had to tear away from being obsessed with to focus on your daughter? What was the new what were the new insecurities? What were the new fears? Mm. You know, what yeah. were the new wants in, in the where what you ifs. Were? What were yeah. all the what ifs you were playing yeah. out in your head? Well, Julie, you can you can relate to this. It's just that constant um bullshit of staying relevant. You know, I'm <sighs> just like there's there's a real that that fight of relevance. And it's like mm. It is, not to sound dark, but it's like, who remembers who won an Emmy or an Oscar 30 years ago? Nobody. Nobody! It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fleeting. It, I'm very, very incredibly grateful for where we've come and what we've had. Yeah. But it is fleeting. And so mm -hmm. there's that question of what am I giving power to? So it's, for me, of like this... This carrot race that I'm having, if I if I don't stop always asking myself, what's the next thing? Where am I going to get the next lightning in a bottle? Mm -hmm. All that kind of stuff. Then I'm going to get to be my um, my 80s and be like, all I was doing was asking, what's next? What's next? Not what's now. Yeah, that's and all that I'm going to do. But did you do the thing? I did this when I was lucky enough to be on a show that was winning awards, and I was winning yeah. awards. All that. I refuse to allow myself to enjoy any of that because enjoying mm. it would mean being sad when it went away. Mm. Therefore, if I don't engage in it being happy, I don't have to engage in it being sad. And, and I really did myself a disservice. Mm. I It's funny. I had a different take on that. I would never enjoy it because there was something about if I enjoyed it, there's going to be a gotcha. Oh, yeah. There's going to be a somebody's around the corner that's going <laughs> to take your joy away. So I just kind of yeah. stayed even keel as a protective, like, you can't gotcha me because mm. I'm just going to, I'm going to stay this, stay on this neutralized place. I've seen you around for years mm -hmm. and we've known each other and we, you know, we have friends, mm -hmm. we're kids at the same school. But at the same time, we played pickleball together. We play pickleball. And guess what? I have a pickleball court. That's right. Oh, very nice. We're having a tournament. <laughs> You're coming over. Um, <laughs> Uh, that you always appear to be lovely, accessible, kind, polite, funny, it just easy. Is that, what would it have looked like when you were the person who was refusing to engage with the joy of like winning all these awards and stuff when you were like, I'm not going to let the gotcha come and get me? Were you still outwardly like, hi, mm. I'm Tony, I'm perfectly nice? Or would I have seen a different person? Uh, I mean... <laughs> The truth is, I think you would have probably seen the 
the same person. I know the difference between when it feels genuine and when I'm putting mm-hmm. it on, but it might seem the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned kind of, um, that made me think of, I remember when I was nominated for the Emmy and I was talking to my therapist and I was like, you know, I was really nervous about it because there was a lot of, I was just nervous. And he's encouraged me to take a deep breath at the ceremony and not check out from it. Because I, because whether, because keep in mind, whether things are really good or really hard, I will still check out because it's too heightened. It's too heightened. Mm. And I would feel Mm -hmm. the need, I would feel the need to neutralize it. So he would say, he would say, I want you to look around. I want you to take some deep breaths. I want you to say where you are. And I just started doing that. And you know, the ironic thing in that is I remember that night. I remember you that I, I remember that night the best because mm. I allowed myself to take a deep mm. breath and to just look around and not check out. How do you think your lives would be different? How do you think you would be different had that night never happened or had it happened differently? Well, I've had it happen a couple di- I've I've definitely been nominated and won, been nominated and lost, and been mm-hmm. nom- and not been nominated at all. So I, <laughs> yeah. I know and you've all won those. twice. <laughs> so like, I mean, so what I'm really saying, Julie, is like the thing that you built up to be so big and so meaningful um, that we all do build, build that thing up to be big and meaningful. It is in some ways meaningful, not necessarily in the ways that you expected it to be or wanted it to be. But what if it was altogether didn't happen? Like, what if it altogether didn't exist? Do you think you'd be a different person? For me, I think it would still be like what Tony said. It would still be that thing. Oh, I have to go get that thing. That's when I'll be happy. That's when I'll be content. That's when I'll know I've made it. That's when I'll know that, like, I really belong in this industry. The horrible flip side of something wonderful happening, like winning an award, and I am grateful, is exactly, to me, what Tony said. You go, oh, this changes absolutely nothing. I feel um, now I'm just terrified that I'll never get a job again. Now I'm terrified that everyone's sick and tired of me. Now I'm, ter- you know, you go down the next um, road of instead of saying, yay, this is a wonderful moment and I'm going to appreciate it. And it's just a moment. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of glad that it did happen for a different reason, because having having that experience, there's something I get a lot of joy not disparaging that moment at all, because I'm incredibly grateful, but I get a lot of joy about the lessons that I've learned and being able to talk to other people who are still running that race, which I get, mm-hmm. but just saying that constant reminder of like, hey, I, I, there's nothing wrong with ambition. There's nothing wrong with the dream, but your value is the exact same now as it is if you win an Emmy next year. It's the same. So if you walk in that, great. Enjoy the dream. Enjoy it. But just check that you're not putting too much power on that. Can you define, as you said that, value? My value is, I mean, I get spiritual again, but it's, it's I really, my faith and it's, it's God has created me with a tremendous u- uniqueness. Created you with tremendous uniqueness. A lot of gifts that are beyond the gifts that people might see. Um, the gift of empathy, the gift of love, the gift of, you know, um, as a husband, as a father, as a son, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and it's like, it's, ba- it's back to the age old thing of like, many times I can kind of fall into Tony the actor rather than Tony the human being. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Tony the human being, what I bring to this earth, that I do believe has a lot of value. And, and that's not necessarily about me. That's about the gift of like being, I love seeing people. 
like really get like that gift of like seeing somebody and listening mm-hmm. to somebody that has a lot of value. So that value doesn't go away no matter whether you win an award or you don't win an award. But I was born uh, and raised Protestant between uh, between Presbyterian and Episcopalian. Sure. And grew up studying Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God and, like, the fact that you were damned, basically. Uh, yeah. And there's no... And the question of, so then why bother to be good, mm. was it was a bit of a lottery. That idea of, like, you're never... It's all it, it's all hell in the end. You ha- mm. It seems like you have the same view, but it's not all hell in the end. We all have value in the end. There's something, mm. there's something intrinsically good and saved about all of us. Am I getting that right? Yeah, and it just honestly hearing that, I mean, that's, I've heard that many times. It's just sad. It's sad because that's not, that's not what, that's not who Christ was when he came on this earth. Like he told stories of like, I would leave the 99 sheep for the one because mm-hmm. each, each of the sheep are precious to me. The way mm-hmm. he, the way he said, come to me as a child, like in the sense of like with a childlike faith, it's not about the point system that the, the, the religion has put on it. His his personhood, like when he was, he would he would get more pissed off. He he embraced, you know, he, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, you know, mm-hmm. the the what they would seem as the lowest of society. And he would, for lack of a better word, cast out the Pharisees, the ones that were like, "You're just a bunch of whitewashed tombs." He would say, "It was just like you're fancy on the front, but you're just dying inside. You're nothing inside." Mm. The, he would say, "The fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Those are." the fruit that should be coming out of us. That's the Christ. So this whole point system we put on faith is like opposite from what he's talking about, you know? It sounds like, what what religion were you raised or? I was raised Baptist. <laughs> and oh, then, okay. Yeah, and so I, <laughs> okay. but then I, yeah. But then I, I would say probably I'm in the more the kind of Presbyterian reign era right now. Okay, yeah. but do you get, I go on these deep dives usually when I'm on a location and I'm stuck alone in a hotel with nothing sure. else to do. I, I don't mean any insult to religion or no, anybody's yeah. beliefs whatsoever. There are those missing gospels that they took out that have been that didn't make the the final edit that were too much about being loving and being caring and having a direct relationship with God or Jesus and that they were removed because it's not powerful enough for a centralized church. Do you ever go down those rabbit holes? Well, I mean, I think, yeah, I, I, there's there's um, theologians that are much, much smarter than me. That can, no, that no, can st- Tony, you're the smartest <laughs> theologian. That can speak into this much, much better. But I, what's sad to me is there's there's things that are misinterpreted and highlighted or whatever Right, and then there's huge portions of the gospel that are not brought to attention. The character right. of Christ, you know, the, the difference he was with human beings, his relations to people, um, his respect for people, his respect for people. I mean, it's like where is our respect for humanity? Yeah, you know, so yeah, things like that. It's more of like to your point. I think there's been a lot of taking whatever a misinterpretation or or sections or whatever, and then structuring them to somebody's how they want to cast somebody. I don't know, however they want to frame their faith or religion. And it's just a hodgepodge of crazy sometimes. 
I, Julie, I really liked you um, using the term final e- edit with relation it to didn't the, make the final whoever edit. it was. Like, yeah, okay. Um, didn't make well, the what, cut. Was it King Did- James? What was the final? What was the, when did the Bible come around? The one where, like, we all know, like that one, Gideon's Bible. I don't know. It wasn't Gideon who did the final edit, though, I'm pretty sure. Gideon's like, I don't like this. I'm taking this part out. <laughs> the no. final edit, uh, yeah. <laughs> ah, I should have put a comma there. Yes. Uh, the um, begats are a little long. <laughs> Tony, I I may be mis I may be misunderstanding this, but you are providing diversity here on this show because mm. I have found our guests as far as Hollywood folk to be like a parade of atheists more or mm. less. Do you stick out as someone who just like talks about their mm. faith, their Christianity with such conviction like that? Yeah, I I I would say I do and and man there's been so many lessons. One lesson is I came to Hollywood very defensive of my faith. Very mm. like if somebody was talking to someone, I felt the need to kind of like protect and like whatever. But it's like, here's the thing. God doesn't need me <laughs> to defend him. Mm. He's he's all right. He's doing okay. You know? And the more that I just kind of let go of that and because it is who it is everything who I am. And that mm. a lot more freedom of kind of conversation and relationship. But I concerning atheists, like I think atheism takes a tremendous amount of faith, honestly, to wake yeah. up, to wake up and live your life thinking that there is nothing out there. There's a there's a part of that that I really respect because I that's a tremendous amount of faith kind of walking in. To me, God is someone who um, I rely on and people will say, people will call it a crutch. And I'll be like, hey, give me two crutches because life is hard, man. I don't want to do this by myself. He's with me. He guides me. So to what I'm saying is the whole I, the whole atheism, like that's, I have a respect for that. I really, I think that takes a tremendous amount of faith. You're raising a daughter in a crazy world. Yeah. Is it important to you? And you, you don't have to get into the sure, specifics yeah. of your daughter if you don't want to. Is it important to you that, she believes what you believe Mm. or is she on her path? You know, this is a great question because I, she, I want her, I want her to know why she believes what she believes. Mm. So I would, I would, I think anybody who does not question their faith, that's, that's something that I think somebody might want to break down. Cause I think this is, we are spinning on a planet (sighs) and there is, you always questioning is a is a beautiful form of the journey of faith in my opinion so i want right. i would i would hope that she would go through a time of questioning and digging in and asking and and living life and wondering and all that cuz that's i think that's where the fruit and the beauty comes from hmm. so when you were when you were going through that phase of feeling very disconnected of is that was that is that an accurate oh, yeah. word to use disconnected going through and again you know 12 14 hour days very sure. hard to stay outside your body while that's going on. I have two questions. One, between action and cut, mm. are you more connected? Ooh. And uh, yeah. two, and, and two, where was your faith when that yeah, was yeah, going yeah. on? Yeah. Mm. I looking back, there was that's I think that is that is kind of the misconception of faith. There's this kind of idea that God we want God to remove the suffering, like take Mm -hmm. it away, take it Mm -hmm. away, take it away. But there is a whole refining process that happens in faith and it's painful as hell 
And I do, me walking through that and me screaming at God and crying and not knowing what's going on and why am I having this flood of emotions and why won't these thoughts go away? I'm incredible, at the time, was shitty as hell. But now mm. I'm so grateful for it because there was the working through that, that wrestling, I think that's where stuff comes from. It's And this sounds like a cheesy example, but it's like, things don't grow in the mountaintops, they grow in the valleys. You know, it's like, I think a lot of growth happened in those times. So I think that's a part of the journey is what I'm saying. Um, in terms of the disconnection, like action to cut, you might appreciate this. I, that's one of the, one of the reasons I kind of do love this business is it's like when the, when they say action, you just, all you can hone in on is yes. the work because there's mm. six, the there, there's 60 people standing around you and you're supposed to be in this other world. And the fact is I'm always aware of the people standing around me, but I have, you have to focus yeah. or you're going to sound like an idiot because you're, you're, if you're not focused, then you're just going to look like somebody who's acting as though there's 60 people watching them. The crazy obsessive sort of voices that were telling you like the bad thoughts. Yeah. Do they do they go away between action and cut? They well, there's two things about that. One, I remember Bill Hader talking about his anxiety and talking about this kind of friend that came along. And for a while he would try to cut off this friend, but then he learned to be compassionate toward the friend. Be like, oh yeah, there's those voices. Hey, thanks for being here, whatever. But with Arrested, mm. the huge gift of it is I'm playing an overwhelmed, emasculated, panic-stricken character. <laughs> So I was just so, my anxiety that was all over my body, I was just able to lose my shit on camera and just put it out there. So, if I, so if I was playing a confident character, I don't, I, at that time, I don't know if I could have done it. You have both been very celebrated for being funny. And almost everybody, especially almost every like smart person or person with an ego tries to be funny. What, like, how do you be funny? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. I When I spend a lot of time around really funny people, like my castmates on Modern Family, I would just be in awe and I would go, I don't belong here. These people are so fucking, I mean, they're genuinely brilliant. And I don't have any discipline about my being, my funny, like sometimes I can feel myself getting on a roll. I'm like, I'm hot. I'm hot. It's happening. But <laughs> I have no craft or structure to it like a comedian would have where they're like this is these are these are my jokes i don't know what about you tony i've always yes and you'll appreciate this too julie because your show is very much like this but if the writing has created a world like you look at arrested development my hands eaten off by a seal <laughs> I, I have I, I, I have a relationship with a woman who's the same name as my mother it's liza Manil. you know it's like the circumstances are so crazy even though buster was kind of broad very broad but typically in, in those situations, you don't have to play. You just act out the story in the most natural, honest way you can. And it's going to be funny because the scenario has created it to be funny. Right. So, so, I, mm, yeah. so then writers make, make it, writers make it funny and you do your job by being honest? I'd say it's a it's definitely a marriage of the two because there's there is a in addition to the writing there is like a a gut comic feel of when something's going to turn when you want to pause um the timing of it all that is a little bit instinctual it's a lot instinctual but there's definitely the marriage with the writing totally Arrested was at first a network show and then it went to Netflix I believe it went to Netflix right Yeah yeah this your second your your it wasn't like a reboot, but I don't know what they called it. This your second chunk of that. Yeah, it was like a reboot. Yeah, but it was that is definitely adult comedy. Then you went 
to Veep, which is very adult. Like, yeah. I would not let my kids watch that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. My daughter doesn't it, even, yeah. Yeah, it's that's a lot. Now you're working with kids. I mean, you're doing, you're going to your third season of Benedict Society? Second. Or is it second, okay. Is that very different? Is it a relief? Do you, does it feel, what's, is it a different energy for you to work with kids? Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a different energy. Um, it's, <laughs> I remember at the time I was, um, I think the time I was shooting Beep, I was also doing this cartoon I did called Archibald's Next Big Thing. This, yeah. And it was so weird to go from the crassest environment on Beep, which is so <laughs> fun and joyful, to just this kid show because you're just so, you know, you've got to kind of switch your brain off. But I, um, I, I don't know, I wouldn't say it's a relief. It's a simpler truth. Like there's, you're not, you know, with with Veep and even Modern Family, you're dealing with kind of a, obviously adult topics. Like with Veep, it's obviously politics and very heightened things. Mm. When you're doing kind of kid stuff, it's, I don't know, it, it gets down to its simplest form a lot. Not simplest forms, meaning dumbed down, but there's just kind of a little more, there's a little more of a message. Like Benedict Society has a little more of a message. And I think that's kind of nice to live in that arena a little bit. If you had like put a pin on a map to where you were going to be as a 52 year old all things considered in life like how far at my age 34 how far away from that pin like up down sideways on an entirely different map altogether like how far away are you from that pin I don't know if I would have thought that I would be doing what I'm doing I mean I because I, I say that because when I was oh you mean when I was your age or mm-hmm. when I was younger oh when I was your age because when I was much younger and I was a kid, I didn't really know if I could make it in acting. So I, mm. I thought about advertising. Um, your age, I think I would be relieved in the sense that I, would, I was at least still working. But there's a part of my 52-year-old self in terms of kind of awareness and I would say mental health mm. that I would like to kind of push into my 34-year-old body a little bit. Because it was... There was a there was a big there was a bit of a race going on in my head a lot, and something you've talked about is just uh, negative self talk. You've already you've you've touched on it here as well. It was that when was that at like a fever pitch? When was it at at, it, at its worst? When I started to get into this business, I mean, I uh, even though I felt like it was something I wanted to do, I just wasn't. I just wasn't used to the rejection of it all. Hmm. Honestly, I mean, you are you are genuinely signing up for a career of rejection. And I don't think, I think people had mentioned that, but I didn't really know the equation of that. Like you are on a constant job interview. Hmm. And it's like when, when most people go on a job interview for two or three months and then they have a job for how many years, three, three or four years, great. We're on a job interview for three or four years and we're lucky if we get a gig for three or four months. Right. So it's switched. Right. Hmm. And so there's just... I think I just wasn't prepped emotionally for that. Like I would walk into a room in New York and see a hundred guys who looked and act exactly like me. And I was like, <laughs> where, why am I? And that's what, that's what I, another thing I tell students is before you invest in your career, invest in your community, because it is your community that's going to give you longevity. Cause they're going to be, yeah. they're going to be the ones that see you for who you are outside of the business and to push you along. If it wasn't for my community in New York, I don't think I would be continue acting. I'm going to throw a, a theory, float a theory by you. I want you to tell me if this resonates with you at all, Tony, that you've ever heard about like <clears throat> a prisoner will get out of jail. You can put them, they've been in there for 10 years, 20 years. You could give them a mansion and they will 
live in a box in the living room yeah. because yeah. it's what's familiar and that we seek yeah. what's familiar even though it's not it doesn't f- necessarily feel good but the fact that it's familiar beats out the comfort of a king size bed in a, in a giant bedroom when you were talking about negative self talk i thought all i could think of is what does he what is so comfortable about the negative self talk is that did it re- did it make you feel more familiar, like more of what you felt like as a child? Is it too scary to step outside of that and actually not have all of those thoughts? Is that your box in the living room? Yeah, I, I would say that thankfully that that box is getting a little more uh, the 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 outside the box is getting a little more of the familiar, thankfully. But mm-hmm. you're right. like that there was a comfort zone in the negativity. And I don't even know, I mean, not to, but when you, I, again, I was a kid in the South that was not a sports kid. I was an artistic kid. So there was a lot of bullying. And so mm-hmm. there's, uh, the, right when you said that, I thought about how there are certain bullies in my life growing up that I, I even today can find myself wanting to prove them wrong or those words were so powerful um, to where if something like that were to ha- have happened or I thought it had happened, I would want to fix the situation. So it's not necessarily that I want to get back into the situation. It's that thing you return back to it in hopes of a different outcome. So it's like I would want to maybe recreate that situation again in hopes that I can have mm. a better outcome than I did in high school. Mm. Does that ever happen? No. And that's <laughs> that's the that's but that's 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 the thing. It's like, but the thing no. is, even if even if I got somebody who I thought triggered a trauma and I wanted to recreate it. It's again, you're looking, it's there's a hole at the bottom of that bucket. It's like mm. it's you can't control their per- people, you can't control perceptions. You just have to keep grounding yourself and, you know, do the best you can, you know. So here you are on the map, you know, now you're not 34, you're 52. Where's your pin or do you allow yourself to sort of look forward to 10 years in the future? And I, I'm sure it's different than than it was when you were 34 or when you were 10. But yeah. w- where do you see it going? And or do you just let it unfold? I think I, I do try to let it unfold. Um, I'd be lying if I said that I, you know, don't think about it a lot. But I, I I just get older and things just get simpler. Like after my daughter graduates, we're thinking about moving back to the East Coast. But it's again, it's kind of I would I would hope that in 10 years. I'm finding a lot more power than I am today in the ordinary, meaning mm-hmm. that that power quenches so much more of a thirst in me than it does today. That's that's the that's where I would love that curve to go. You know, it's not those highs that I we deem here as like huge success, but the ordinary has as much of a high as the stuff that we deem successful. That sounds so cheesy, but it's true. Well, to to ground it a little, if I may, like the the high that you're talking about now for you, is it the same as you would have defined that high 10, 15 years ago? Is it this? No. It's, it's not. Okay. What is it? No. What is it now? Now it is like the high when I was your age was like, you know, the Hollywood highs. Yes. <laughs> and the high now is just sitting by the fire with, I mean- I know this sounds like I'm making an answer, but it's true. It's like going back to my, like I'm going back to my college for one of my college reunions and I'm just so stoked to hang with old friends, with friends with history. And like that to me is like a high, Mm. you know, like I genuinely, 
in my head, I don't want to get sick because in two weeks I know I'm going to do that. You know, it's like that's mm-hmm. where my one of my highs is. Do they treat you different though, or you've maintained those friendships the whole time? I've I've maintained. There's some that I I I haven't maintained, but like most of them I have, and I. But it, it's to it's kind of back to the present thing. Like I just don't remember much from those years. And when I go back, it feels like a different person. It feels like a different person went here. And I'm like, I went here. Like I walk the <laughs> campus and I, and it's just, it's like, I love it. I love it. So you I go love to the same. That. You love going and feeling like that you, it was a different person. That doesn't no, freak love, you out. No, it, well, yeah, it freaks me out a little bit, but it's the sense of, it's weird that it does feel like a different person. But then when I'm walking through it, I'm like, God, I was here. I was here and I look on the quad and I go, you know, we go to the same chain restaurants we went to or whatever. It's just like, I was here. And it's that, I guess it's just a, re- a reminder of all that, you know? Where'd you I go to school? It. Samford in Birmingham, Alabama. Wow. Oh, wow. You stayed in the South. You doubled down. I doubled down. I, I was raised in Tallahassee, Florida and I, and I went to school in Alabama. Julie, do your, do your friends from college, how do your friends from college engage with you? Do you know your friends from college? I went to Brown and I had a great education, but I t- had that terrible approach. That's, that school is very much choose your own adventure. You mm. can take whatever you want and you can keep progressing up you know, more and more difficult classes. You can never take a math class if you don't want to. Never take an English class if that isn't your wow. jam. So, and I <clears throat> met my boyfriend day one. Wow. And I met my best friend, uh, my college best friend, who lives out here, and I still see her um, a lot, and she's fantastic, uh, you know, day two. And I was like, great, I'm good. And I did not push myself. I my, It wasn't until my senior year that I started pushing myself when that boyfriend had left, and I started expanding my horizons more. I didn't engage with it in a way that hmm. that it, because my experience was so narrow. And... I had my few friends, I had my boyfriend, and I had my academics, period, the end. I did not have this big rah-rah. Like, Tony, did you go to, did you go to games? No. Mm-hmm. Ch- Chad has a major connection to his college. Like, do you go back to, do you go back to reunions, Chad? I'm going on Wednesday. I'm, I'm going oh, to homecoming isn't on it Wednesday. fun? Isn't that just the It best? is fun. I'll tell you what, I, and um, here's why I feel really self-conscious, but just in a couple sentences, I'm going back. It's been a few years. A lot has changed for me in the last few years. Mm, and so I have mm. a little bit of a- Ah, um, you feel like a they're going to treat you different? Uh, uh, sort of. But, but why I'm asking you all these questions is like, I don't even know. I can make up a story about how people are treating me differently. And then some things are real. But then there's some things where it's like, how do you even know? I mean, you don't know how they would have treated you. You went to college with these people, you know, 30 years ago, 2010, whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. How would you even know, you know, what, what, what it would be like now? So that, that's the thing. Your bullshit meter just goes off, basically. Yeah. And if someone <laughs> asked you for a <laughs> selfie... <laughs> do you still, hey, Julie? Do you still do you still know your boyfriend from college? I'm just curious. Tangentially, yes. He it was a. Uh, I, I don't know where he is right now. For a while, he was a screenwriter um, out in L.A. And we got together, had some lunches, friendly. I don't know where he is right now, but you know, I wouldn't counsel like my kids go to college. I wouldn't be like definitely you know, fall madly in love on day one and have that be your entire college experience. I would not recommend that to anybody. Mm-hmm. 
But your daughter's about to graduate from from where our kids go to school. Yeah, she's um well, she's she's actually at another uh, another school right now and uh-huh. she um she loves it, loves it, loves it, but she's a junior and so we've got about a year and a half more and then she's off. <laughs> Which is very strange. That I was is- actually I was actually looking at uh, uh, did the whole age old dad thing where I was looking at baby videos the other night and started crying. Wow! Oh my god! Of course, but but yet, let me ask you this: When I look at the pictures of my kids and some some sometimes it's this pang of real memory of really being there, and then sometimes it's just sort of this almost like a sadness of. I don't even remember this picture. I don't remember when this is mm. taken. Look at how mm. cute that person is. Look at how yummy his little cheeks are. And I, I was probably really <laughs> freaking annoyed because we were standing in line at the grocery store and he was crying because he wanted candy, you know? Yeah, yeah. That, I feel like I missed a lot, probably because I had too many kids. <laughs> <laughs> I remember running into you, Julie, at that science museum in Pasadena. Do you remember this? I mean, at the kid space. Yes, at kid space. At kid space. I mean, I, my entire experience when they were like little was like seeing people going, hey, hey, yeah. and then just looking down and running I away. Know, That's I all I remember. I know, I know, I know, I know. I, I mean, same too. But for some reason, I remember that because you're so memorable. I'm so well. That's very nice of you, but I do remember that feeling of going, "Oh my God, I'm barely keeping my head above water. I'm about to lose one of these kids at any second. They're all going to go away." But I really, really appreciate how open you are. You're so open, and you're so mm. um, kind about about where you've been, where you're going. Are you done trying to figure out why you can't remember early years, or is it something you're going to come back to later on in your life? Yeah, I spent a lot of years in therapy wondering, because I genuinely, sixth grade down is kind of a blur, and I don't remember, and I, you know, did something happen or whatever, but right. I, if it's if it's going to be revealed, I think it'll reveal itself when it comes. You know, I, I've kind of, to your point, I've stopped trying to okay, figure yeah. out something. I wish you the very best of luck, and I hope that, <laughs> um, <laughs> I hope it's a big nothing burger. My yeah, sister is very is much a be- seeker like that. She is. She spent a lot of time seeking something in her youth, and finally one day said, "There's nothing there." I will say quickly to your sister's point. I do think there might be nothing. It's more of like memories. You're just kind of like it's weird that it's a blur. But my mm-hmm. brother has the same thing. He does remember earlier too, and we traveled around a lot. So it, you're right. It could be nothing. Could be oh, nothing. Wow. Well, I hope for. I hope a big joyful box of nothing for you then <laughs> in that case and thank right. you so much this oh, was great it. thank you tony thank you 